Hello and uh, welcome to the delicious recipe. I'm your host, uh, the Dell, here on uh, UPRN. This one uh, I called uh, ice creams. Uh, it's almost sort of like that little thing there off of that ice creams, nice dreams there, Cheech and Chong thing. But it's not how our topic is going to go. If you're uh, watching us, you can check us out on YouTube. It's uh, UFO Gods and Extraterrestrials, also off of the YouTube, the Dell, and also off of UFO Paranormal Radio, UFO Paranormal Radio. That one's done twice. We're also on all the other platforms, Spreaker, SoundCloud, iHeart, and et cetera, under UPRN, uh, United Public Radio. And uh, you can find us all there. For people that are listening, I want to welcome a returning guest here again. Uh, we're not going to have uh, issues like we had the last time where I had to go and send questions there through pieces of paper on the screen. But uh, this will be interesting. Welcome back there, Rachel Dodds. Thanks, Del. Yes. So uh, we were we had this sort of idea of talking about this before, and uh, I know you wanted to talk about this thing about imposter syndrome, a company that you had started back in 2003, uh, Sexy Girl, which is different from Party Girl and everything like that. But we'll go into the whole thing about that. But uh, where would you like to start from there, Rachel? <sighs> um, I mean, you've asked me the question before, how did I go from um, you know, riding the, the bus back when the early 80s when you and I were going to school and uh, to then being a weekly radio show talking about, um, you know, sex, basically, for uh, all around topic. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was the thing there. That was that was actually how I got in contact with you because uh, we were both on uh, Facebook and then I'd seen this thing, uh, oh, that you'd done radio, and I just had started doing uh, uh, my my uh, show here on UPRN, The Delicious Recipe, and I was like, oh, well, she's on radio. Oh, what was her stuff there? I said, oh, okay, this is interesting. How did this meek little girl that rode on the school bus that barely ever talked there all of a sudden, yes, because they're talking about sex on a, on a radio show. <laughs> uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll start off from there, I guess. Um, yeah, well, it's funny. First of all, I, I didn't realize that I, I barely talked because uh, I certainly didn't grow up that way. Now I never shut up. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, basically, um, you know, I spent 10 years in consumer packaged goods, large companies working in sales and marketing. And, you know, as uh, I came into the year 2000, I, I could tell, like, although I had a great job, great career, and I, I was very proud of the company that I represented, wasn't fulfilled. And I always had this longing desire to be an entrepreneur. And I think anybody who is an entrepreneur understands exactly what I'm talking about. There's this fire that builds in front of you and you, inside of you. And you're constantly looking for ideas. Whenever you, you notice something missing in your own life, you're like, hey, maybe I can start a business about that. Um, so I always had a burning desire to start my own business. And like I said, with most businesses that start, it's because that particular person is not getting a certain need in their life met. Mm -hmm. And how this started was I ended, had ended an engagement. So I think I was probably in my early 30s. Um, I had ended an engagement and uh, found myself out on my own, went on a couple of dates. Dating is not for me. It never, it never has been. It never will be. Um, but boy, the experiences were really underwhelming. Mm -hmm. And it really kind of left me feeling empty. Now, if we go back to the early 2000s, this is before, you know, the, the program Sex in the City was on the rise. And to be honest with you, women and self-love and self-gratification, it kind of really was still pretty taboo. You know, it wasn't really something we talked about or, God forbid, we admitted to. Um, we knew guys did it. 
but we didn't really talk about it too much, but we'd make fun of them. But you never really talk about women doing it. Right. So what ends up happening is I'm in my life, you know, I'm trying to sort out trying being single and I, I it just wasn't working for me. And then I, I had this light bulb moment where I realized I started, I realized I kind of don't need another person to fulfill my needs. <laughs> That's actually where my journey started. And I became pretty darn good at it. Um, you know, not to really brag about how much time finding how many Friday nights I stayed at home by myself. But you know, I did, I became pretty good at it to the point that I'm like, I can make a business out of this. Um, because also too, the light bulb moment that hit me was that once you start to own your own sexuality, you become so much more confident. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're not, you go out there, you go out to the public or you go out to the bars and you have a different perspective. You're not out there looking for outside gratification. You, you just, you look at the world differently. You go out there and you're, you're satisfied, you're confident. It changed my aura to be honest with you. So that was one of the things that really got me started. And I had this burning message inside of me that I wanted other women to know that you can be sexually empowered. Um, you can own it. You don't have to give yourself away in order to feel fulfilled because oftentimes you end up feeling the opposite. I think most of us as adults can reflect back on those times now that maybe we, we gave a part of ourselves that we shouldn't have or and you, you don't feel fulfilled. You feel a little bit empty. Mm-hmm. So it really came from a spiritual place that I really wanted to um, start this company, build this company, spread this message. Um, also time in the time back in the early 2000s, it was an industry that was still kind of a little bit, um, it certainly wasn't mainstream. And there's a lot of products out there that weren't very good for you, to be honest with you, things that you shouldn't really be using on yourself or in yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was another message that I was really, really passionate about that I did a lot of research and I created a company that only sold natural, hypoallergenic, hygienically superior products. Right. And the mission, there's one statement, was to provide sexual confidence. That was it. And everything we did, everything we said, everything we sold, it all came down to that one mission. It all had to meet that mission. Are we providing sexual confidence? Mm-hmm. And at the time, you know, we did this through home parties. Uh, people loved home parties. You know, Tupperware helped us with that. Um, Amway helped us with that. And uh, so we started doing home parties. And my audience were women only. Uh, we didn't have combined parties. We, you know, it was really just women, a message for our women. And uh, it wasn't set up as a multi-level marketing company either. I'll make that clear too. Like I selected who represented Sexy Girl. And they were women that I felt were extremely confident. Um, you know, we, we didn't fit a certain mold. We all just carried ourselves in different way. We had different strengths and different beliefs and different perspectives. And at the end of the day, it wasn't, I mean, when you're impressing women, it doesn't really matter what you look like. It's really all about connecting on a spiritual level and an emotional level and a mental level. And that's really the essence of what Sexy Girl was all about. Right. So you may want me to fast track as to how I got on the radio. <laughs> well, that part too, I was just thinking about this. So you started this in 2003 and I remember this back, uh, this was like when this was all started beginning, like you mentioned that this is sort of pre before sex in the city. You had people like a uh, dark Dr. Ruth and you had other ones like uh, uh, Sue Johansson sex show. That was, I remember seeing that when I that's when I was just had been down in Toronto there around that time. And that was sort of really the beginning part of this forefront of uh, sort of 
making uh, women's sexuality uh, untaboo, I guess, in a way. It was making more mainstream, open dialogue part there. So I just sort of remembered that as we were sort of just uh, talking about your beginnings there. Yeah, and it's funny because you just provoked a memory in my mind where I remember our school days when we were in public school, CKPR in Thunder Bay would have sex with Sue on Sunday nights. Right, right, yeah. And we were young. We were quite young at, at that point in time. And I guess, too, it was, you know what, we were set, I was setting a trend where I'm not an old lady talking about right. <laughs> things that make people <laughs> cringe. Uh, <laughs> So when you when you're saying about these parties, or this was to uh, uh, I guess just to clarify, this is like uh, products, sexual products that uh, you had gone and researched and figured putting your your stuff there, whether they were lotions, creams, toys, and or I guess our devices. I guess that's the part I'm looking at. Yes, I like the word devices. Um, <laughs> it was everything, you know, everything from yeah, like you said, bath body products. Okay, um, yeah. Things that you could even use in your family. It, again, it was anything for sensitive skin. Everything we just wanted women to feel very good. It was like a self care. What can what can we provide you for self care? But we also it wasn't just about the products that we showed up with. I wanted people to understand how to shop for these products. Okay. Um, whether or not you bought it from me, it'd be great if you did. But that wasn't the uh, the objective. I wanted people to understand because when you know how to shop for a product, you have a lot more confidence in going out there and you know picking one up. Right. Yeah, you got to figure that back in the day, they're uh, going to some place like the Love Bug or uh, some sort of uh, sexual store that was there. It was almost like a big, huge taboo. You put on the put on the hat, you put on the put mm -hmm. the collar up and the long jacket. You walked in to make sure nobody saw you as you were going in. And I guess that was sort of the way that uh, if you look through like uh, pre 2000s, that was all sort of very frowned upon and very it was, well, I guess taboo in a way. That was the thing like that you had the 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 whatever the vhs stores blockbuster or not blockbuster but other ones like that you'd have the little beaded curtain around the outside edge or whatever that was the the adult section that we we sort of looked at it that way as a society that anything to dealing with sex was taboo and not to be talked about period especially women's sexuality i guess in a way yes mm -hmm. okay so how do you get to the radio uh, so then I um, started, first of all, I was invited to help start a, a local magazine. It's called Next Magazine in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Again, a, a group of entrepreneurs. We were all just doing it volunteer. Um, but I was tasked with being the, the weekly or the monthly. That was a magazine that came up monthly. I was tasked with writing something to do with, you know, sex. Um, so we did that for probably six, seven months. And we were out there promoting it constantly on the weekends. And it ended up getting very popular. Um, and that's where I got noticed by the Daily News. So the Daily News was a, the second, maybe the first even, I, I shouldn't quote, first or second of the biggest newspapers that was read within Nova Scotia. Okay. And um, I got approached by them to write a, a weekly column. And I actually was replacing a, a nationally syndicated columnist um, because they wanted it to be more local. Uh, and, you know, here I'm a local entrepreneur and it just kind of fit with the strategy that they had. Mm -hmm. So I was, uh, that was a great opportunity for me. That was a paid job. I was getting paid to write this weekly column. And then I had this I idea, this great idea. I thought, you know what, I'm going to approach the number one radio station here in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And I'm going to say to them, hey, um, how about we do this segment in the morning where, um, you know, Thursday morning when my column comes out, I'll come in and we'll talk about things that I wasn't able to say in the column, you know, we'll kind of right. give it a little bit of an edge. And they were like, hmm. 
well, maybe we'll try. You should recognize that, you know, that's very valuable airtime. We don't really just let any old, you know, Josephine come in off the street and start chit-chatting. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And they're like, but we'll give it a try. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? I think it went on seven years. Wow. <laughs> and uh, it became their number one listen to radio segment. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, t- we, we basically hit a market that was like, it wasn't just it wasn't just men, it was men, women, young, old. Like I was really proud of the audience that we managed to reach. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how it started. It was me going in there and having this idea that they kind of weren't really all that big on. And we tried it and it just got, it grew and it grew and it grew. And also like the personalities grew with it. And some of those personalities, the radio personalities, I was with them the entire time from day one. And actually there was one particular personality. He stayed with me the whole time. It was the morning show. Right. Um, so yeah, it ended up becoming huge, <laughs> huge. So that's how I ended up on the radio. So I think it was from about 2007 to 2013, about that that time. Mm-hmm. Wow. So did this go? Did this uh, actually air nationally too, as well? Like, was it syndicated out, or just mostly stayed local around uh, the Maritimes area? I think it was just the Maritimes. I could be wrong about that. I, I believe it was just the Maritimes. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it was definitely well known around the Maritimes. And, you know, it right. gave me a lot of other really great opportunities. It opened up a lot of doors for me. It gave me the opportunity to go speak to universities about oh, wow. things that I was very passionate about. Um, you know, during Frost Week, we talked about things that are very important to even today, like consent. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually also had opportunities to speak in public schools about young women to young women about, again, like, honor yourself. Um, And also to young men that um, I don't want to sound too crass here, but I'm going to tell it like it is young men. And I'm noticing it starting to come out now in the mainstream. And this was 10, 15 years ago that I was on to this. The availability and the accessibility to pornographic material is nothing compared to like it's exploded. You know, when we were kids, that was very difficult to get your hands on. Um, I was always very concerned about how accessible it was to young people. Mm-hmm. And it's shaping their minds. And these are 12, 13-year-old boys that just have to hit one button and they're being exposed to things. And now this is giving them um, a perception on how maybe they think women need, want to be treated. Mm-hmm. And then the young women are thinking maybe this is how we're supposed to be treated. And I would give very blunt uh, presentations to them that this is not reality. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not how real men treat women. And that's not how real women want to be treated. So it opened up a lot of opportunities and a lot of doors for me to to express what I felt were very, very important issues in society. Right. Yeah, that, that part that you said, yeah, that the accessibility is uh, one thing. That's why I sort of mentioned like uh, before how it was almost sort of taboo with going to the video store. It was that little section that was off to the side or those, there was uh, like these love stores or whatever, toy stores or whatever. Very, very, uh, you had to be very discreet about doing it. It wasn't talked about uh uh, out in the open very much and like he's a young boy to get uh their older brother's uh playboy magazine that was like a big huge thing but that was like one magazine and now uh you can kids little young kids can go and have a video game they put in a code and they can get all the characters to be naked or just go right onto Pornhub. you don't even really need that like, that's like the accessibility is unbelievable it's so concerning and it's funny like i see now it's being talked about but when I, I clicked onto this a long time ago and I, I saw that it wasn't being talked about. And let's just let's just take a little trip down memory lane, Del, because this yeah. this kind of makes me laugh. Like when you and I were that age, all the stars had to be aligned. 
you had to, first of all, know one of our uh, parents had to have a, a Betamax, yeah. I mean, maybe a VHS, right? Yeah. First of all, that had to happen. Then you had to make sure that where did you get the material? Someone had to get their hands on the material. Then you had to wait for the said parents of the owners of the Betamax. They had to leave the house. Yeah. And then we would all get together and then we would maybe get a peek or two at something pornographic. I mean, that's how <laughs> difficult it was for us. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know? yeah. I remember, remember being a, yeah, in the high school and stuff like that and just going on to the, the scramble channels off of the satellite dish and stuff like that. And you'd get a little glimpse of a, a nipple or something like that as it was going through and you go, oh, this is the greatest. And, and then you'd wait for that one friend that had like uh, their dad had or parents had the, they paid for the full package and you go in there and when they were out of town, you grab your VHS and you'd tape whatever triple x ecstasy or whatever says hey we got enough and they'd be shared all around but it was a very it was very different like now with this thing here who needs uh who needs the store anymore and i think you hit on a good point there is that that this uh the way youth are sort of growing up up with this sort of idea ideology of uh sexuality and stuff like that that this is uh, a lot of music a lot of stuff sort of glorifies it to be this slut or stag or whatever this sort of persona of banging as many as you want and stuff like that and this is well just even look at the the super bowl uh, halftime show you got a pregnant uh what's her name there dancing around grabbing her crotch and and uh, shaking her rump right the sexuality thing has become way way more apparent i guess in in media than it is uh than it was previously, I guess. It started about 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. And mm. you start thinking about how little girls started to dress. Um, remember when Halloween, you dressed up as like something goofy or fun yeah. and then suddenly it became like, a, I hate using the word, but it became a bit of a slept fest, you know, oh, yeah. like it was just an opportunity to dress provocatively. Um, but anyway, but even the sexualization of young, young girls, I, oh, I yeah. noticed it 15, 20 years ago. And, and then, I remember sometimes I would write a column and I would get attacked by parents because of um, this negative influence on their, their children. And I said, first of all, have you listened to some of the lyrics? And it was a Rihanna song. Yeah. Um, I think it was like called Whips and Chains or something like that. And this was way back when I was still writing the column. I'm like, you know, I'm writing, I'm writing about something that is being published in the newspaper or that, you know, is not anywhere near as bad as what your daughter is listening to in these lyrics in the backseat of the car. Oh, yeah. Well, the, another part that I noticed, and this is maybe sort of off topic or not, but uh, I, I noticed this when I was, I went down to Toronto, I think it was about 2000, I went down there, and uh, I was seeing uh, all these little young girls uh, at, like, uh, walking with their parents at, like, uh, Yorkdale Mall or something like the Eaton Centre, and they're wearing these sweatpants, skin-tight sweatpants with Juicy or Sweet or Baby on the butt. Oh, and I was like, I, I remember even saying to my girlfriend at the time and stuff like that, it says, who, who buys this for a little young kid like this? Like, this is like, this is the wrong message to be out there. And I was just, I was just, just, I don't know, <laughs> not yeah. being a prude, but I was just like, wow, this is a, a real change in, in doing things or, or presenting uh, young kids. And I thought it was really odd. It's a very accurate observation that you made, you know, that a lot of people just didn't see it. Mm-hmm. or don't yeah. see it they don't still don't see it yeah yeah that's true yeah very true okay so i know there is a part there we want to talk about into their uh imposters well we'll see how how did how did your uh how did how did this sort of this end so we've got into this you you've gone into the part there you've done this you're doing radio show doing super great for like seven years how did this sort of 
fizzle out for you, I guess, in a way. Okay. Well, you know, it's funny, like, <laughs> I mean, we, we will talk a little bit about this imposter syndrome, which to me, I define it as like, we, we have so every, we've all experienced it, whether it be in like in a management position or what have you, um, as a leader, any kind of, anytime we want to pre present a message, sometimes we don't give ourselves enough credit that we don't think we're worthy enough. Uh, or who do I think I am putting this message out or I'm not educated enough or I'm not something. We do that a lot. And I never had that for the most part because I was I had this burning message that I wanted to give out to people. However, suddenly now I find myself very high profile. And there's going to be instances where other people ask me, like, who do you think you are giving out this advice? And like, it was actually more outer people than it was my own inner critic at the time going, who do I think I am? I was just, I was building a business and I was focused on that. But what ends up happening and it's kind of funny when you put yourself out in the public like that, you do become high profile. It's other people's responses that you really have to, um, you have to see past it and stand strong. So for instance, I'll give you two examples that I really was challenged on my, you know, my imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And so here I am, this woman talking about, I'm on the radio. So people don't know what I look like for the most part. Um, and we're talking about salacious fun topics you know that the show was meant to educate and inform um but also it's entered it's supposed to entertain Correct. and um you know there would be instances and i remember one in particular one of the i was helping the radio show do a promotion and one of the listeners came over to me and he's like you're you're rachel from sexy girl and i said yep yeah. he's like huh i thought you'd be better looking <laughs> <What'd you say? laughs> i'm like okay well you know you're no prize either but yeah. um you know, you had there was that happen. I unfortunately, even at the time, I was able to laugh it off, and I, I get it. First of all, to me, who's who's to define sexy? For me, sexy is someone that's a very take it or leave it attitude. I am what I am, and I've always been that way, um, and I'm attracted to people that are that way. So I really didn't really care too much about what this prod this guy had to say, and I get it. Maybe they think, well, this girl's on the radio; she must, you know, be his definition of what sexy is. Right. Um, but I, I would get comments like that. And then, then this one followed me around for a long time. God, this one haunted me. So, you know, it's radio. It's early in the morning. Um, you know, I didn't go in there in my pajamas with bedhead or anything like that. But I kind of also didn't try very hard. These guys know what I look like. You know, they've been seeing me for years. So I, I go to the studio one morning and there's a professional camera crew there. Oh, wow. And they're doing their makeup and there's professional. Well, I'm not important enough to get the memo that they were shooting a, a commercial for the, the radio station. Right. And they want to include me, but I <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> right. So had I been then the person I am now, I wouldn't have consented. But you know, at the time I, I didn't want to ripple. I you know, I just don't want to please people. Mm -hmm. So I get put on camera and it, the camera's in my face. It's the worst angle. I, I, I'm not, I don't, I haven't taken any time that morning to care about my <laughs> appearance. Right. And this commercial Dell, not only did it go like huge, it ran for years. Okay. And I would be sitting there. I was watching A&E one time and this stupid commercial comes on and it was the worst angle of me. And every time I looked at it, I'm like, oh, my God, I look awful. 
And of course, my mom would see it. She's like, oh, honey, you look beautiful. No, mom, I did not. I did not look beautiful. <laughs> so then what, what happened after that commercial, which aired for eight years, yeah. people would then meet me in person and they'd say, oh, you're actually a lot better looking in person than I thought you. <laughs> I remember my friend's mom said that to me. She's like, oh, you know, I've seen you on the commercial, but you're much prettier in real life. And I'm like, oh, good God. So again, how does one not get imposter syndrome when things like that go out into the universe, right? Like I had this message. I felt good about my message. I was confident yeah. delivering it. But there's things that are going to happen um, in your outer world that are going to challenge you. Yeah. And who can be who is more challenging than somebody who, you know, talks about sex on the radio every week? People have a perception. And I really want to encourage people that just push past that. It doesn't matter what other people's perceptions or expectations are. Just be you. Just be you and have confidence in your message. Because each and every one of us dealt with everything that you do. And yeah. everybody has a message. We're all here for a purpose. Mm-hmm. And, and that purpose changes as our, our, our path goes on. And I know I made a lot of a difference to a lot of people's lives. I gave them a lot of really good information. I gave them positive thought. I helped relationships. Probably didn't help some other relationships. But, uh, you know, for the most part, I think I helped people. Yeah. Um, and that meant a lot to me. But, yeah, I had to push through some barriers. I had to push through, you know, like I said, my inner critic at times. Um, yeah. And... Uh, after seeing that commercial hundreds of times over and also from other people's perceptions. Yeah. Oh, so then you asked me, how did I know how to fizzle out? So then suddenly I found the show became bigger than me. You know, it kind of, it sort of preceded my own personality. I don't know if that makes sense. Like suddenly my reputation did not fit who I was anymore. Right. And it didn't align with my soul is how I felt. I felt very uncomfortable near the end. I'm like, this is not who I am. Um, I had a message that I wanted to help women. I wanted to empower women. I wanted to provide information. I wanted to be helpful. But suddenly now there's this perception around the better part of Nova Scotia that I'm this party girl. Um, I'm promiscuous. And the, the ironic part about it was I'm the furthest thing from, from promiscuous. I spent way too much time with myself more than anything. I had to sort of learn how to get back into being with a, another person. Right. Um, and I actually did talk to my therapist about that at one point in time. So when suddenly the perception and the reputation started to precede me, it wasn't aligning with my soul anymore. And I felt very uncomfortable. Um, and like I said, they, the radio station had their agenda. You know, they're there to create um, ratings and viewer or not viewers, but ratings and listeners and, and sell advertising money. Yeah. money. They yeah. had an agenda. I had a message it kind of wasn't aligning anymore. Like I said, it did a lot of good. It was fun. I don't regret it. But it did reach a point where it was time to move on. Yeah. Um, and then I felt big time imposter syndrome because I felt like I was selling out to myself. I kept doing it because I was marketing my company. I'm a business person. It was hard to give up in that sense. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was sort of, it was a big part. It become a big part of my identity, even though I didn't really identify it. A lot of people identified the, the business and the company. And I, I, I got used to that. So I did sell out a little bit to myself as well. And uh, I continued to do it for the market marketing purposes of it. Right. Yeah. That's how I, just, I decided I need to step away from it. At that point in time, I decided I need to step away from the company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I gave it a good over 10 years. Um, but um, my, I had changed. I had changed as a person. Does as we all do. Is still running now too still? 
No, I, uh, you know, I, I had discussions with um, people to sell it. I, I gave myself a deadline. We negotiated for several months. We hit that deadline, didn't work out. I said, okay, well, if I don't, if I don't have it sold by this deadline, I'm done. Um, I had already made plans to leave Nova Scotia and do something different. And I kind of kept it going online. Like I had an online e-commerce store. I kept it going for a while, but I just really didn't want anything to do with it anymore. So, um, I gave my, all my sales reps that work with me, all the wonderful women I met along the way. I gave everyone like three months notice. I said, yeah, I think I'm done. Yeah. I think I'm done. You know, I wish I could say, yeah, I sold it for like seven figures. Right. You know, like you always hear about these entrepreneurial stories. I'm not one of those entrepreneurial stories. Yeah. Um, I came out of it actually pretty, pretty broke. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was wealthy and lots of experience. I don't regret um, but it took me a while to, to re- recover, but it just fizzled out. It just, you know, sometimes your mission changes and we change as people and we have to give ourselves permission to just say, yeah, you know what? That's great. I talked about sex for, you know, over 10 years. I helped yeah. a lot of people. I got to be on the radio. I got to have my own sex column. I'm ready to move on. Yeah. And just for people out there listening there too, is that, uh, this sexy girl thing isn't party girl. It isn't like the other ones that are out there. I, I think I mentioned this to you beforehand, because if you look this up, you'll see things that, uh, even off of YouTube, it'll go party girl tours and stuff like that. And they have all these girls wearing, uh, skin tight le- Lycra bikinis and that, uh, standing around cars or at sporting events, uh, selling, uh, beer or wine and stuff like that. This is not what this sexy girl was about for people out there listening. Yeah, I mean, I was asking for trouble, obviously, when I picked a name called Sexy Girl. I did right. trademark it, and I owned the trademark across Canada. And I actually um, went into a dispute. I think it was with TLC. They wanted to do a show called Sexy Girl. It was like a makeover show. And I debated them on it, and they had to change the name. Oh, really, eh? Wow. Yeah, so I kind of preserved my image while I had it. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, now it's all out there. And I saw at one point in time, the domain, you know, sexygirl.com was for sale for like over 100k or something like that. Oh, I didn't wow. have that domain. But uh... no. <laughs> no, that's yeah. And like, uh, you're seeing here now is like, uh, if you're looking at how people sort of reacted to you with say the commercial and that and how your view of yourself and how how things are you got to look at how much tougher it is now today with people that are doing online stuff there with uh these armchair basement uh uh critics there now and they're actually pretty brutal they i looking at some people that they write in the uh replies and responses at the bottom there after somebody that has a comic that makes a uh i guess whatever you want to say an opinion or just even on just opinions, period, you'll have people that don't agree with you and they come in full force and they they just, they can actually shut down your sites. I was I just, just surprised at how we've sort of gotten that way. I guess with this uh, lockdown there, this didn't help it either because you had more people at home to, to sort of complain about people and uh, pick apart people. And I, I, that's sort of a really weird thing that their society has gone this way is to, like you said, well, you're, people see you on the radio well they didn't see you on the radio but they see you away from the radio and they've already formed a whole image of you and a persona of you even though they know nothing about you i always find that sort of interesting too and how 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 did did that make you feel yeah you know i was a victim too like it was before the social media and thank god because i mean the toxicity that toxicity not very good at pronouncing that word the toxic nature you see of people's comments like you see these people like that present it put themselves out there and present an opinion on say twitter i can't even read the comments a lot of times it's just so awful and hateful and it's sad that we've become of that but 
But let's keep in mind, a lot of those comments are actually bots. They're not even real people. So don't, don't take them too personally and don't engage them because a lot of times they're just bots. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to believe that because of my faith in humanity. Um, oh, God. And what was your question again about... Um, well, just that, how did, how did you sort of react to that? Like, uh, yes, yes. Okay. Like yeah. Because you know what had happened? Like, I mean, Facebook had come out by this time and they were, you know, I don't know. I had, again, I sold myself out. I would accept people. I would accept friend requests from people because I thought, well, they're a listener, right. you know, and I was using it as a tool to market myself. Well, you know, what ended up happening sometimes is that people used it for nefarious purposes. Mm -hmm. Um, there's one particular, a woman reached out to me one time and she said, you know, um, John says you guys broke up, um, that you, um, you, or I know he, he said he was cheating on me with you and he knows all, you know, you, you left your abusive boyfriend. This woman had been, I don't know. First of all, I didn't know this person, mm -hmm. but I said, I think you must be confusing me with somebody else. Like I had been single for like 10 years. And she said, no, no, it's you. Like, he told me full well, it's, you know, the girl from the radio. And I'm like, I don't know this person. I have not been wow. involved with this person. And he used things on my Facebook to make up lies to feed this woman and had her believe that I was in, he was in a relationship with me. Ooh. And this he, is a, this is like another level of catfishing, but without the other person being catfish, but uh, <laughs> that, that, that's crazy. Catfishing is an, another whole thing there too. But yeah, people make up these, uh, these stories and these, unrealities i call them and uh other people get tricked by them and then look at the trouble that it can cause go on go on <laughs> well that happened and then another thing happened where you know they a group of people got together and tried to have me taken off the radio because apparently i had slept with someone's husband oh, wow. none of it none of it was true mm -hmm. um i became a scapegoat for people you know and it's like it was weird and then a lot of times Sometimes it sparks such hatred towards me. Someone can make a lie up and say, oh, yeah, I, I slept with Rachel, you know, whatever. They would make a lie up. And then this hatred, I would, sometimes I was afraid to go in public or I was uncomfortable to go in public because I didn't right. know. There was a couple of times that someone would send me a, a link um, to something where people, there was this long thread. I don't even remember what platform it was. Um, and I'm reading all these lies about myself, things that never happened. Mm -hmm. um, and again, people would make up that these lies that, you know, I was promiscuous and I was, you know, sleeping with so-and-so on the weekend while his wife and kids were away. And it was just, again, that happens when you put yourself out there in the public eye. Yeah. And I think that now um, here I am approaching again, um, I'm looking at building a, a YouTube channel on, on, on health and wellness. And, mm -hmm. But, you know, I have to brace myself for the fact that there are going to be, here we are putting ourselves out there again, you know, in public. Am I ready for that? Great. I think I've, I think I've grown enough now that, you know, I know how to detach myself from negative energies and negative perceptions. At the time, though, I did not. I was not equipped for it. Yeah, um, but I, I don't. I don't think a lot of people are equipped for that. And I, th I think this is the an interesting part too, is that with the way that uh, social media basically bloomed overnight, and uh, I don't think young kids have the mentality. Even adults don't even have the mentality for the implications and the the amount of stuff that can be out there, and uh, the way that it can affect somebody mentally with uh, people being just vicious on there and uh, they want to take you down. They can create any lie. You're proven guilt. You, you are guilty until you prove yourself innocent. That's the way it is now. There is somebody can just go make up a, a story about you, 
put it out there that, like you said, you were sleeping with uh, John Doe down the road and uh, you broke up that marriage and it'll be frontline headline news, depending on the area that you're in. And now you go, I don't even know this person. Then they'll go in, they'll dig into yours. Oh yes, you were at a party with them over here and uh, blah, blah, blah. They've had this and this, the, the web of, of lies that can go out of this and it really affects some people and you've seen stuff on the internet people committed suicide because of this young kids they're the emotionally damaged they even have that in the schools there now and because we we're talking about before about access to sex and uh people looking at then uh, uh glorifying these famous people that are in media and the way that kids react to this and become so emotionally involved in it uh causes a lot of problems from the uh, potential suicides eating disorders uh alienation people coming in and shooting up schools a lot of things have happened there with this uh social media stuff yeah you know a lot of good came out of social media but also did a lot of bad in society and i i think that as a collective we need to really take a look at what we're allowing into our minds because this really is it's become a battle for our minds Mm-hmm. And a battle for our souls, what we see on TV, what we see on social media. And I think anyone that's, and you know, even with the, this, you know, AI taking over, um, you know, I think we each have a choice and we all have, we all have that power to make a decision. Do we use this for good or do we use this for bad? Right. You know, like for, with AI, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you can use this to your advantage to help you create more content, uh, to make more blogs, to come up with some more catchy taglines. But you can also lose your own creativity, your own thought. The other thing is, too, a lot of the stuff that's put out there, it's all manipulated. You know, like it's one it's you're not going to get a full perspective as much as you want to believe that there's a full perspective out on social media. Much of it is suppressed and manipulated. So we don't want to all have a collective think. We're all thinking and feeling the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we all have a decision as to what we see on social media. Do we let it get into our brain or do we continue to think for ourselves? And that's something I challenge myself to do every single thing, every day now. Whatever I'm looking at, I look at all kinds of things. And, you know, is the, real, is the world really as horrible as it is being portrayed to me? Um, yeah. Or do I look out the window and I see how beautiful the world is? Um, so I try to use social media really for positive um, I follow only positive things. I try to use it to inform and put things in my brain that are positive. And I think we all need to be cognizant of that because, you know what, the ugly side of social media is never going to go away. Oh, no, no. Yeah, that's that, that's that's a, that's a huge part there about uh, mis- – well, see, they, they've used these terms, and I, I've talked about this many times, like be aware of special uh, certain terms, especially when uh, governments or media and stuff, like when they use words like inclusiveness, uh, misinformation, uh sustainable there's always little buzzwords that are out there and you should uh, probably turn tail and go the other direction <laughs> but, but yeah just uh i was the, the ai thing they, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago because i was looking at that chat gpt and uh how mm-hmm. interesting it is and how it that sort of it evolved but i remember uh uh, uh was a show i'd watched probably about two years ago and i'm not sure if it was facebook or uh or instagram or something like that is that they've created an avatar of you okay and this is what's in their their main big uh, cloud computer or whatever it is there so the avatar is everything you watch everything you see everything you interact with it's a duplicate you an ai you and uh i guess an ai y-o-u uh, a-i-u and uh 
that's how they go and set up all your media, all the stuff that gets pumped into your phone or your little device that you're around here and stuff like that. So basically you have a, a synthetic or a silicone doppelganger of yourself. And that's the way that social media presents things to you. And it, you got to think now with them blocking about putting chips in people's brains that connect them to the internet a lot faster, uh, robotics, uh, artificial uh eyes and stuff like that i think we're, we're we're getting married to the silicone beast a little bit quicker than we thought yeah agreed and i think it's very good to for us to stay aware of these things um because we have to continue to make a conscious effort to mm -hmm. not fall into it and you know i i'm aware of the fact that i'm under surveillance we all are i don't mean that i'm special or anything but we yeah. all like you look at your phone you don't know what it's thinking or saying or listening to mm -hmm. Um, we're all under some form of surveillance and I'm aware of it. I don't know to what extent, but I'm pretty conscientious about what I've, what I even simply like sometimes what right. I simply give a heart to on Twitter, what I simply like on Facebook. There's some groups that I engage, I, I won't even engage on them. I just read them because I feel like maybe I'm under surveillance for even being in them. Right. <laughs> like it's, oh. it's, it's, you gotta be conscious. You have to be just assume that you are being watched. Mm -hmm. So your your new thing that you're looking about, uh, you, is it a YouTube channel or some sort of uh, thing that you're looking about coming there, health and wellness? Yeah, was, you know, for a couple of years now, we've been talking about doing a YouTube channel and um, it's been, it's a lot of work. It's underway. It's going to be called Peer Cures. Um, and it's really all about, like, I, it's just helping people. Um, my partner and I are going to be doing it together, Peer Cures with Rachel and Ron. And it's really all about... Um, not just all the natural cures that are out there, um, because it, I think it's plain to see that our healthcare system is crumbling. But there's a lot of things that have been out there that have been turned into pharmaceutical business that didn't really need to. Yeah. Um, we, how to live your best life. Um, a lot of spiritual wellness, mental wellness. Um, you know, I've had my battles with anxiety and depression mm -hmm. and learning how to overcome those um, and getting off medication. That's a huge thing for me that I want to share with people. Yeah. So it's really all about um, just living your living your best life, following your bliss. And there are things that have been presented to me that have helped me do that that I never would have done on my own, you know, unless they fell into my lap. And I really, that's my message. I want to help share it. So it's, it takes a lot of work to do, uh, you know, set this all up. Um, I don't, I'm not comfortable on camera, which is why when you invite me to do these things, I, I force myself to do, do them because I'm not comfortable on camera, yeah. um, which is something I'm going to have to get over if I want to be a YouTuber. Yeah. Um, so yes, we are working towards it. I'd say probably in the next month or so, we're going to launch it. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, I have to, I, this is why I have to get over this whole, um, you know, imposter syndrome again. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, who am I to be a YouTuber talking about health? And I have to say, Stop talking to yourself that way. You have right. an important message as much as anybody else has an important message. So well, that that's exactly right. And that's like uh like even when I started this thing uh back a long time ago, he, he just the the owner of the company says, Here you go, just threw you into the fire and just talk. There you go, fill an hour, right? And and that, that it was hard at the beginning. It gets easier as it goes on. And uh I think this part there that you you're talking about this uh this new uh endeavor is is actually important i think of uh, uh 
society has been manipulated and pushed with these drugs so far that uh, we basically became a, a, a pill society in North America. We've gotten away from natural things. I'm not saying that medication is bad. I think medication has its part as well as natural things have their part. I think uh, <laughs> we've seen over this past uh, two and a half, three years that they uh, that media sort of really dissuaded people from being outside into the sunlight, which was free D, uh, vitamin D, as much as you could get there, fresh air, stuff that you need, health, exercise, and they would basically lock you into a, in a room that you had to go view the world through a TV or through a computer. And I think that's really important. Exercise, sunlight, uh, fresh eating, and get, stay away from as many pharmaceuticals as you can. I think that's a, that's a probably a, a good uh, place to start. Not saying that I'm a doctor and I'm saying it that. I'm just That's a, just an opinion that's out there from me. You don't have to be a doctor, right? We, should, we all own our own health and how we want to manage it. Mm -hmm. And that's what's been stolen from us. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Is, is that choice. Like, don't tell me what to do. Yeah. Well, that that's exactly right. And I, I when this first started happening there back uh, at the beginning, I, I, I just I had said many times and I said this on the show and on other shows there is that our our free choice has been taken away. And I said there's no reason that uh, one entity should decide what goes in and into your body. It says it allowed free choice for other things, but this is, there's no, there's no uh, middle ground in there. There's only, this is how it is. It's absolute total domination of your, <laughs> of your individuality. And I, I just thought dangerous, dangerous path to go through. And I don't think Canada will slowly get over this period for a while. And we're not even out of the woods yet. No. And we can do that on a whole other show because mm -hmm. uh, I bailed on Canada. Yeah. And I, I don't feel any shame in saying that. I, I saw the writing on the wall in 21. Yeah. Everything I left just in the nick of time and everything I saw coming has happened. And there's, I see even more coming and I know I'm not wrong. Yeah. And, and you know, maybe, uh, like I said, that's a whole other show. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's, 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 there's a lot of people that I've known that have, uh, have gone and left and stuff like that. And uh, it's just... I guess it all depends on uh, your feasibility and what you have, and well, if you can do that. But uh, yeah, it's a it's, it's a changing world out here. And when you're looking at stuff, you, I don't, don't want to go too much about this uh, Russia Ukrainian war because there's a lot of issues about that whole thing there that's not being told to the the mainstream. Uh, people population out there there's uh and you can hear people on social media have a totally different view of how this is and uh i think it's a lot different than people actually want to believe that it is so that's another show too that could be <laughs> oh absolutely yep okay so we have a we have a few more minutes there left there anything else you would like to talk about there rachel uh, you know, I, I think that's pretty much wraps it all up. You know, you gave me the opportunity to talk about my experiences and, uh, you know, convey my message about uh, imposter syndrome and how I want, you know, it's a good thing to be aware of and don't let it get in the way of what we want to achieve. Right. Um, you know, even, yeah, like I, like I said, I still find myself um, facing it day to day on some of my new ventures. And I, I look back on what I've overcome and what I've done and I'm like, oh, stop it. You know, like, don't let your inner voice tell you you can't do something and don't let other people tell you what you can do, you know, which is basically what we were just talking about. So yeah, that's important. Yeah. That's very important because you know what, that's the, the, the part that you look at there is that when you start reading and you're listening to these other people that sometimes it's from jealousy, sometimes it's just from they're just angry at stuff. And you're going, why am I putting any, uh, 
power into their words for anything. I don't even know that person from a hole in the ground. Who are them to be the critique of my advice? Mm-hmm. Right? Because like, uh, are they, a, I hate this word expert because I, I, I'm totally done with this, the word expert, professional, amateur. There's a whole bunch of different ways you can go and look at this. Who is a professional? What, you get paid for doing something? That's what changes you from being amateur to professional? Like there's, there's so many different ways that these buzzwords I hate out there, they just drives me nuts because like you said, and is that you can do your own research and find out about stuff. You don't have to go to university or college and get a diploma from somewhere to get the exact same information that you're reading there. That's the, that's the thing. People, there's smart people out there that can follow the directions and read information. I think that's a really important thing that people should know about. You don't need to be an expert for, for just stuff. <laughs> Exactly. I think I think experts in today's day and age are really losing their uh, their expert credibility, <laughs> to say the least. And you know, there's no reason why we all can't be experts. And uh, and again, you know, it goes back to like I said, we're talking about imposter syndrome. You don't have to be an expert to be um, to have a meaningful message to be able to right. share information with people. There, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, to have a meaning, meaningful message. That, that's that's a good thing there because you know what everybody everybody has something that's out there, and you know what that's the whole greatest thing about debates and opinions that has been slowly taken away from us in North America, even in the states there too as well, where the cancel culture that that was something that was never really thought about that if you had an opinion you got in your soapbox at the corner and somebody went and kicked your soapbox out from underneath you and then you got this get back up on another one and keep on talking. Now today they can just ruin your life and uh, take away everything financially, uh, job wise period. You never get another job. And it's surprising how that, how we've gone this way. And a lot of the people that are heading this up all just live in their mom's basement down in a, a dark hole that type on a keyboard to get a bunch of other people like that all together and cancel people. <laughs> I know. And you know what, what's going to happen, Dale, is we're going to create a parallel universe. All the people that have been canceled or suppressed, we're just going to create a whole new different, different community. Um, the pendulum's got to swing, right? Yeah. If you the pendulum only goes so far one way before it has to swing back. That's that's true. Yep. And I've been talking about this for a long time there, too, is that uh, people getting away from making things uh, naturally, learning how things are done without having to go and buy them off of uh, Amazon and stuff like that and just appearing at your house. I think those are skilled trades and uh, lost arts of, say, even knitting and stuff like that and making things and sewing uh, of people. I, I, have, I have nephews and stuff like that that don't know how to write their own name. They they don't know cursive anymore. And I'm going, wow. oh, yeah, that's been phased out of schooling. Wow. Yeah. So a lot of things have changed. So we're going to wrap this up there. Rachel, I want to thank you very much for uh, coming on to the show there. Is there any uh, social media stuff that you want people to know about that can uh, check out your stuff or no? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. Um, I do have a Telegram channel, which is called Simple Truths by Rachel. Okay. Um, I actually do speak freely on there, share my opinions. Um, there's a lot of really great information on Telegram. If you're not okay. already on there, I think it's a, you and I have talked about that before. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, no, I'm still just kind of, like I said, till I launch this YouTube channel and uh, get past my camera shyness. And uh, uh, until then, no, I'll just, yeah. <laughs> just plug along there. That's yeah. awesome. I, I want to thank you very much for being on here. And uh, this one is a pre-record, so this will be airing uh, tomorrow night, which is uh, February 23rd. I'm still uh, 
taking night school on my Thursdays, so uh, that's why I'm doing these pre-records. But uh, thank you all uh, people out there in the ether for uh, checking out the delicious recipe this week, and we'll see you all next week.